Exceptional Field Service Delivery creates, magnifies, and sustains exceptional customer experiences and brand loyalty. Welcome to the Super FM Podcast, Field Service Your Way, with me, Michael Israel. I'll lead conversations about critical issues in today's field service ecosystem with knowledgeable and experienced service management professionals. Now, let's learn something. Hello and welcome to Zuper FM Field Service Your Way with your host, Michael Israel. Michael, how are you? I'm doing pretty good today. How are you, Eric? Oh, I'm fantastic. And Nor is back on the show with you. Nor, welcome back. What is happening, sir? Oh, I'm, I'm so excited. I, I just love joining you guys. I learn a ton. What are you guys talking about today? Well, we're talking about a couple of things. We're going to talk about a concept called completed uh, service work. Mm-hmm. And then we're go- also going to talk about uh, the elevation of the uh, recognition and perception of the role of the field service organization. Mm, that's, that sounds pretty deep, guys. Yeah, well, we're going to interconnect the two because they really do, uh, they really do affect each other. I was going to add that that Michael and I talked about this, and it seems to be a, a fascinating catch twenty two, right? So, and we'll talk more about this. But if you do the the incredible work necessary to do the completed service work, it really does elevate both service professionals, their impact on the business, and the need for a more strategic conversation around service than a transaction one many organizations may have. Yeah, very very good point. So let me, let me introduce uh, the concept of uh, completed service work. First of all, it comes from another concept or philosophy or management practice, if you will. If you actually look up the term called completed staff work in Wikipedia, you will find that it says completed staff work is a management principle, which states that subordinates are responsible for submitting written recommendations to superiors in such a manner that the superior need to do nothing further except sign and approve the document. So that's how completed staff work was. Uh, that's how completed staff work is defined. And I believe it was originally a concept that was uh, inaugurated by the U.S. Army sometime even back in the 1950s, 1960s. So I've been familiar with that uh, completed staff work, uh, completed staff work philosophy for quite a long time. A fellow that I worked for at IBM many, many years ago introduced me to it because I did a lot of writing for him. And initially, he was pretty disgusted with my writing. So he taught me uh, a lot about uh, completed staff work and making sure the writing was correct. Wait, 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 wait. You can't <laughs> drop that on the audience and say he was disgusted with my work. Well, it was a long time ago. I was a very young man. I'm not a very young man anymore. Well, I want to know, what did you what did you learn from that experience? Well, I learned to be thorough. I learned to do my research properly. I learned to make sure that I was constructing my sentences correctly, that whatever I was writing about had a logical flow to it, that it had a logical supported conclusion and recommendation. So I would say that there were a lot of things that I learned about that, but he was a pretty demanding fellow and he was very, very much a mentor, especially with regard to conveying your ideas and selling a point. Is this the elusive George uh, Jorgen that you yeah. refer to in your fabulous article? Yeah, let's let's give him credit. I think, uh, unfortunately, George passed uh, some years ago, but he was a, a great, great mentor. 
and friend and tremendous manager for me at IBM. And uh, his name, let's just recognize him, George Jorgen. And I think he was with IBM for like 42 years. I love it. And and for yeah. our audience, I'm referring to a Field Technologies Online. There's this a fabulous article dated June 30th. 2022 that Mr. Israel wrote about this topic. And Michael, it sounds like beyond a professional relationship, he came, he became a mentor. I think you referenced him as a life coach. So, so this perhaps excruciating initial experience became something that molded the leader that you are today. Oh, I, I think it impacted uh, impacted me for the rest of my life. He was uh, a tremendous manager, uh, the best manager actually I've ever had in my life. Obviously, very, very memorable, but he was quite a character, but he certainly taught me a lot. And I've always carried the lessons that he taught me forward into my working career as well as uh, into my personal life. So the, the other thing I really appreciated reading in the article was that this is more than just the completed staff work was more than just writing great reports, right? And I think that's your key point in really making the reference to the to the service world is that it really is a framework or a construct or a mindset that can impact a broad facet of our work and life. Well, you can think about it this way. A completed service work is an evolution of completed staff work. So I've been, actually been thinking for the last several years about the concept of completed staff work and how we could apply that to more than just the written word, right? So how do we take that concept of doing everything thoroughly and anticipating what needs to be done next before you finalize that report? How do we take that concept and bring it into the service world? Go ahead, Noah. Love it. So so let, give us an example. So, so I love how you're and I try to do this periodically as well, take one concept from one part of our either background or life or experiences and apply it somewhere else. Give us a couple of examples of where, how this concept could apply. Yeah, I'm going to give you a real world, real recent example. In fact, it's so recent, it's from yesterday. Uh, <laughs> I recently bought two brand new dishwashers. The first one I only had for a month and it quit working and they, uh, the service people came out a couple of times, couldn't fix it. So I finally got a refund from the uh, company that I bought the dishwasher from. So I bought another brand new dishwasher, a different brand, obviously, and just had it installed uh, some days ago and it isn't drying well. So I called the company and I'm going to name the company in this case because they've done a good job for me. It's LG. And I called for their their support organization, customer service organization. I talked to talked to them yesterday, and the young lady that I talked to gave me some suggestions. You know, these new dishwashers are pretty fancy. There's all kinds of different settings that you can you can employ with them, et cetera. And she gave me some examples of some steps that I could take to try to enhance the drying capability of the um, of the dishwasher. And she could have left it at just that, but two things. One is she knew that I was pretty disturbed because I had because I had already had to replace one dishwasher. And she was she knew I was disturbed because here I have a brand new dishwasher that isn't drying as well as I thought it should. So the first thing she did was she gave me her cell phone number. And I thought that was extraordinarily unusual. And then she said, I'm going to call you back later. And a couple hours later, she did call me back before her shift ended. And then beyond that, she said, I'm going to call you on Sunday when I'm back at the office again to see if some of the things that I've suggested to you have worked. Now, the example here is that she could have just given me the recommendations of what I should do and left it alone. 
But instead of doing that, she was empowered by her company, I believe, to take some extra steps. And she had the attitude and the philosophy, I think, that she wanted to make sure that I am well taken care of and that my problem is resolved. So I have to ask, do you believe that's nature? Like, was she born with that DNA or is no. it nurture? Somebody kind of trained and developed that into her. Somebody nurtured her. And I th- and she's a, a young woman, I think. So somebody nurtured her uh, early on in her career. And I believe her company probably gave her the power and the authority to make some decisions on her own. And is that the exceptional customer experience that you talk about in the article? Is that what you're referring to? That's a simple example, and it's probably um, something that most people can relate to because everybody has problems with their appliances or their air conditioner or their heater or their water heater or something like that over time, right? Since you and I are both uh, collectors and huge advocates of great stories, may I share one? Absolutely. I love your stories. So most of our audience members uh, realize that the global reputation you know, the Ritz-Carlton Hotel has for going beyond the commodity of a room is a room is a room to to a great service. As a matter of fact, if you've ever asked anybody at Ritz-Carlton where the restroom is, they actually walk you there. The first time this happened to me, I'm like, dude, I'm not four years old. Just tell me where the bathroom is, right? (laughs) But I'm speaking at a Ritz-Carlton property outside about 30, 40 minutes outside of Atlanta. And I'm speaking at this event in the morning, there's a breakfast. Michael, you've been to a lot of conferences. In the next room over, there's breakfast. I'm wearing dark pants this day. And I asked this young lady, you know, may I trouble you for a dark napkin And at breakfast? She brings it over. We go to the next door. I do my keynote. We're there the whole morning. As we're coming back to the room for the lunch session, this woman is standing at the entrance with a platter and a dark napkin looking for me. Yeah. (laughs) And the whole time I'm thinking of all the things she had to do, one guest out of several hundred. But I think that is just building on your comment. I think that is the culture Ritz-Carlton has built that every guest deserves an exceptional experience. And the point I'm getting to is if service organizations make this a cultural commitment that we are more than just a transactional fixers, we are in the exceptional experience business, it would unequivocally elevate them against their competitive peers. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. In fact, I love the Ritz-Carlton story. I mean, everybody, I think, or many, many people know that when you're at Ritz-Carlton and uh, somebody opens the door for you or the waiter provides, uh, brings your plate over or the bartender gives you a drink and you say, thank you, their immediate response is always, it's my pleasure, sir. And I think that's the, just that one simple thing sets them apart so much from their competition. Their people aren't just saying, you bet, thank, you know, you're welcome, no problem. They're saying with sincerity, it's my pleasure, sir. I used to belong to the health club at the Ritz-Carlton when I lived in Kansas City, and I went there every morning at 5.30, every morning, and every day the doorman would open the door for me, and every day I would say thank you, and every day he would say it's my pleasure, sir. They never stop providing that kind of service. That's especially when consumers, and by the way, in the B2B world, we're all consumers, right? Always, I always believe to have a choice. Right. And and that experience is what's gonna set 
I think every organization apart from their competitive peers, and Michael, you and I had this, in, in many ways, I genuinely believe the products are becoming increasingly commoditized. I, I know there's nuances and everybody talks about their engineering and R&D and all that, but for all intents and purposes, very close feature benefits, it's the service and the experience that is absolutely going to set you apart. And I believe, and our research, our work with our clients is showing that it also not only impacts my current purchase decision, but it absolutely impacts and influences my next purchase. So from a lifetime value, you're a heck of a lot more likely to keep me and grow and deepen that relationship with an exceptional experience than if you just thought service is an afterthought. All right. So yeah, I agree entirely, Noor. So let's go back to my previous example about my dishwasher, for example. I mentioned the brand LG. As you know, after we publish these podcasts, there are oftentimes several hundred people or over a thousand people that listen to these podcasts, there's going to be somebody in the audience that has has heard me talk about my LG dishwasher service experience, and that's going to influence their next purchase decision. The service experience unquestionably impacts the future purchase uh, proclivities of the public and of the business community. I don't think there's any question about that. And, and, and by the way, given our hyper digitally connected world, 10, 20 years ago, if you and I had a bad experience, we might have told 10 people. Now with LinkedIn and, and social media, I can tell 10,000 people of how great that experience was or how pitiful it was. And in 2022, I can't imagine that company still in business as poorly as they serve their, as an example, serve their customers. So I think digital also amplifies our ability, our willingness in many ways to share positive and negative experiences. And we'll do it at dinner tables. We'll do it at cocktail receptions. And, and we'll often, that's what we're going to remember. And, and so my question of you, Michael, is, in a time where on my smartphone, I can see when my pizza dough goes in the oven, when it's out in the driver, when it's going to get delivered to my house, I think service organizations that are still giving you the 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. window come across as prehistoric. Like, you, you, Are you not keeping up with the relevance that's the demands of, of today's modern customer base? Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I don't think there's any question that uh, Pizza Hut and Uber and Lyft and those types of services have changed the expectations of consumers and businesses at large. I had an, <laughs> it sounds like my house is breaking down, I swear, but my washing machine <laughs> needed to be repaired as well. And so I had Sears Home Services scheduled to come out. I got an email from them this morning that said that my technician would arrive. And I think the exact time was 9.03 and 10.33. So they, they didn't give me an eight-hour window. They didn't give me a four-hour window. They actually sent me an email and a text saying, this is the one and a half hour window that you can expect your technician to arrive. So that's the kind of service that people are coming to expect. And if you don't deliver that kind of service, then your brand is going to suffer. Competitors are going to uh, have a competitive advantage over you. And customers are going to remember those who do deliver that kind of service. So before we move on to the mm -hmm. idea of service having a, a, a seed at that, that executive table or that strategic table, summarize for me why this completed service work matters. Leaders, organizations, cultures that go above and beyond the minimally accepted 
service. They're they're much more proactive. They're they they really raise the bar. You and I talked about not just meeting expectations, but exceeding them. How are they better off? You believe their acquisition costs will be smaller. You believe they'll benefit from greater retention. You believe they'll create greater barriers to entry to competitors. So what? How how does all this benefit a service organization? Well, you're absolutely right with everything that you just said. I think that it benefits not just the service organization, it benefits the entire the entire organization and it benefits the customer base and it benefits the people who are delivering the service, the field service engineers and the field service technicians. So for example, if I am a company and I have embedded in my service culture and my service philosophy that whenever a service is delivered, when the work that you were dispatched to do is done, you're not done. The next thing that you need to do in order to deliver remarkable service to your customers is think about what's next. What's the next question that the customer might ask? What's the next thing that I could do for them that would make their job easier, faster, more successful? Are there new things that my company has to offer that might benefit this customer? Can I educate this customer and help them understand how to use the the piece of equipment that they have more effectively and more productively? In other words, when a service person goes on site, they shouldn't think about, and this needs to be a culture, not just individually, but within the company itself. They shouldn't just think about, okay, I'm here to do what I should do. They should also think about, I'm here to do also what I could do. That's the difference. And and it goes back to, like I said, beyond meeting expectations, it's delighting that customer. It's exceeding expectations. It's you just opened up that MRI machine or you just opened up that HVAC system or whatever it is. You notice there's something else wrong. Instead of just buttoning it all back up and, hey, that's somebody else's problem. Can I take a picture? Can I get somebody's attention while I'm in here? Would you also like me to address this, this, and this? And Michael, you've heard me talk about this. Our audience may know I'm originally from Iran. I distinctly remember at a very young age, my grandfather on my mom's side taught all of us to play chess. And I didn't get it then. But what the life skill he was driving into us is you have to think two, three steps ahead. You have to anticipate the next two, three moves. And what I'm hearing is you're asking every service technician, every customer service representative, every customer experience person, every person who genuinely believes that they're in the service business to go beyond the minimal level of expectations and begin to really think, how can I exceed How can I anticipate? How can I think two, three moves ahead from now on? Yeah, exactly. And in the in the article that you've referred to, I gave some additional examples that I think everybody can relate to. So if you have a landscaper, for example, and the landscaper is responsible not only for mowing your lawn and trimming your bushes, et cetera, et cetera, but also maintaining your irrigation system. An example that I provided in the paper that the landscaper, instead of just making sure that the irrigation system is working might make a suggestion to the homeowners or the small business that, gee, if you adjust your watering schedule so that you're not using quite as much water, you can do that and still maintain, still be sure that your plants are getting the right amount of water that they need to thrive. 
So they can look at it and just make a recommendation to the customer or the business owner that there's a way to save some water, but also have your plants be beautiful and and bloom. I gave an example about a field service engineer, for example, uh, working on a CNC machine in, in a factory that's cutting metal that might give an operator a little bit of safety training when they're on when they're on site doing a preventive maintenance or doing a repair maybe going the extra step and giving the operator a little bit of safety tips for example or might uh, avoid a future catastrophic accident so it's just thinking about i i finished what i'm doing i'm finished what i was sent here to do now what can i do next that will enhance the experience of the customer and my experience, those when you do that, I, I swear, I think customers have like an out-of-body experience. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh, did this person just ask, instead of running out the door and moving on to their next service call, did they just ask what else I need and how they can... And they're delighted. They're, I think they're just... They're, they become endearing to that person and the brand when the technician does that. Well, I, and again, to go back to my silly example about the dishwasher, when I first started talking to this young lady, I was pretty angry. And she knew it. I mean, it, it was evident in my voice. She calmed me down. And now I, I said to her in the last conversation, when she called me last night, uh, I said, you know what? I trust you now. She's become an advocate for her company and she's become a trusted advisor for me. And that's what service organizations, I believe, should strive I, for from all of their people. I just can't believe you brought her mother and her whole family <laughs> into the conversation. I mean, that was a little, a little over the top. Yeah. No, joking aside, the best, the best, the most memorable conversations we ever have, whether it's an airline agent or in this case, the technician is is people. I mean, and it's human nature for us to get mad and frustrated and upset. And yeah, yeah. Cust customers are always going to do that. The best ones, Michael, that like you I've ever worked with kind of have this calming demeanor about them. They absolutely not without belittling you. They they practice empathy and they turn a bad situation into a delightful experience. And Again, not only you want to go back and you want to demonstrate your loyalty to them, you want to tell everybody you know that, oh my God, I got to tell you about this you know, great woman that I worked with and, and yeah, yeah. worked the magic and the thing was here tomorrow or it was fixed. And, and you, you become an advocate. You become an evangelist for that brand and for that company and for that experience. And that goes far beyond buying any product or service. Yeah, exactly. I think there's a, there's a phrase that you have, Noor, that I probably can't uh, quote precisely, but it has to do with when the relationship with the customer actually begins. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, thank you for bringing that up. Sure. I, I just, I just wrote the third edition of my book, Relationship Economics, and I've always told every team, every organization, sales and marketing in many ways is going to make a promise, right? So here's what a product can do. Here's why you'll be better off because of our product, and you want them to believe you upfront. You want them to believe in you as you execute, as you actually deliver on those commitments. And there's no greater ability to deliver that commitment than when after a customer buys. So I often tell people the relationship really starts after the customer buys because they've bought in on your promise. Now it's time to deliver. And there's no better organization to deepen the relationship to nurture the relationship, to sustain it, to create a differentiation than the service organization, because they're the ones that come back and fix it and maintain uptime. They ensure the promises that were made before the sale 
actually come to fruition after the sale. So the relationship benefits from ups and downs. It's not that the equipment is not going to fail. It's what you choose to do with it as an organization when it does fail, right. how responsive you are, how proactively you remove friction, how uh, you're not passing the buck. Sorry, that's not my department. Let me transfer you for the 73rd time. Right? Nobody wants to deal with that. So it's how you behave and your processes, your tech stack, your capabilities from a service standpoint after the sale that really solidify, did we make the right investment in the product upfront? And is this a relationship we want to deepen? Or conversely, no thanks. I don't care how whiz bang and cool your technology is. Your service organization is god awful. And we're going to go explore other options, even if they're inferior to your product. Yeah, and I think too that uh, you know we talked about this a little bit uh, yesterday when you and I were conversing. That the difference is not just delivering service itself, but it's delivering remarkable service and creating a remarkable customer experience, such as I've alluded to that I've had recently. So I want to come back to the question that you asked me a little bit earlier. If you're delivering that kind of service, anticipating customers' needs, anticipating their questions, acting on that before they ask you, and you're doing that consistently across your entire service force for all customers, then the benefit of that is multiple. There's many, many benefits, of course. Obviously, you're, you're separating your company uh, from the competition and that you're delivering superior service and service that customers will remember and talk about. If you're doing that, you're going to uh, retain customers for a longer period of time. They're going to spend more money with you over that period of time. They're going to recommend you to their peers, to their business, other business associates and friends. Your company is going to grow as a result. They're going to renew their service agreements uh, going forward so that you have a longer continuing stream of revenue from the customers. It's going to give you a significant competitive advantage overall. And it's going to just cement loyalty amongst your customers. So there virtually is no downside. You know, maybe it takes a few minutes longer in an average service call to take the extra step, but there's no downside to that. And I couldn't agree with you more. I think you said it earlier. It is fundamentally a culture shift. And exactly. it has to be set. The agenda has to be set from the top. So if the, the service leadership believes that is not just a set of KPIs, and I'm not taking anything away from KPIs, but think about it a second. If the way you measure, the way you promote, the way you compensate your team is on how quickly they can solve it and get off the phone, does that really allow anybody to build a relationship? Does that really allow anyone to go that extra mile? Conversely, if you tie metrics and milestones and compensation to NPS or sentiment analysis, or random conversations with customers about their service experience, think of the tone you're setting of we're not just in the transactional fix-it business, we're fundamentally in the relationship business. And in the relationship business, I can go above and beyond the minimally accepted service level to ensure that I delight and I, and I create an exceptional experience with every interaction. Yeah, and I want to I want to tie this back to one of the topics that we said at the start of this conversation that we want to discuss a bit too, and that is the elevation and recognition of the service organization and the service people as being vital and as being incredibly important to the success of a of a company. We at uh, Azuper are advocating and have advocated that 
service organizations need to be perceived as, as I just said, an extraordinarily important part of the company that is selling the product to the customer. If you have a philosophy that we've talked about here about completed service work, and that philosophy is, is ingrained in the service staff and everybody behaves that way, then the service organization is going to be elevated in the eyes of the customer. It's going to be elevated in the, in the eyes of everybody else in the company because service is contributing significantly to the company, not in just in terms of revenue and profit, but in terms of growth and customer loyalty as well. And it's also going to be perceived by the field service organization themselves. If they feel that they are delivering greater service value to their customers, then they're going to take a great deal of more pride in the work that they provide to the customers and on behalf of the company. As a result, they're likely to stick around. They're likely not to go out and look for jobs elsewhere because they're pleased and happy and have a good sense of value and satisfaction where they are. So I, I think if you ingrain this philosophy of completed service work as part of your DNA, and it becomes part of every service person's DNA and part of their philosophy, then the results are not going to be uh, positive on be for the company itself. The results are going to be extremely positive for the customers, obviously, but also for the service staff itself. Yeah, and it sounds like a, it just constantly reminds me of the uh, the passing of the baton in a relay race, right? I often say if you ever watched a track relay race, if they go too soon, they kind of overlap. If they go too late, they miss the pass. If you drop the baton, it's over. Mm -hmm. And and it seems like marketing, sales, product, so engineering for serviceability, and of course the service organization, it's a baton race. And that customer is the one that's ultimately going to just incredibly benefit from how efficient, how smooth, how consistent that passing of the baton is, or they're going to suffer and not too many customers are excited about suffering and they're going to go move on and do something else. <laughs> so, so it really is important that organizations see we challenges, we opportunities, not us and them. That's not us. That's the call center. That's not us. That's the field technicians with the trucks. Anytime I go in a place and hear that, you kind of know it's not clicking on all cylinders. Conversely, if they talk about we, this is something we have to address. This is something we have to believe in. This is something we have to invest in. Now, you know, everybody's rowing with the same velocity and veracity in the same direction. Exactly. So, uh, Noor, I just want to give you an opportunity to uh, promote uh, your latest book. I know you've written about a dozen books. All of them have to do with relationships and uh, specifically with relationships with customers, which is certainly the topic we're talking about here. But can you talk about a little bit about what your work, what your latest project is? Man, I need more friends like you in my life. Thank you for that layup. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that is called, would you like that in paper or plastic? Um, no, I, I'm, I'm grateful. Uh, you and the audience will be delighted to hear I'm not writing Harry Potter, so I'm never going to get wealthy writing books. But there are a fantastic opportunity to capture and Michael, you and I have known each other long enough. When you see a challenge or an opportunity across very different customer-sized companies and industries, you know that's not just that company issue. So uh, in Curvebenders, book number 11, my most recent one, 
I wrote a lot about future of work. I wrote about 15 forces. Our longitudinal research shows that will continue to create headwind, tailwind, uh, and turbulence for organizations. I wrote about organization of the future. I wrote about how a few strategic relationships can dramatically impact your personal and professional growth. So really excited. Blue cover, Lynn Wilson, who you also know that a, a talented illustrator has done all the covers and illustrations. For the last two years, it takes me about four years for, for books to percolate. For the t- last two years, I've been thinking a lot about my first book, Relationship Economics, and just finished a manuscript for the third edition of that book. So Great. I completely went back and rewrote it wrote about hybrid relationships. So the pandemic taught us it's not just the physical relationships we have, but digital and increasingly global relationships. So I call that collectively hybrid relationships. I wrote a lot about six phases of developing strategic relationships that are more than a transaction. They become very transformational. I've written about the relationship-centric attributes of high-performing companies. So my books are not you know, sorry, they're not fluff. Hopefully, they're not drawing books for adults. You read my books, I'm going to force you to think. I'm going to push you to think about what you think you know about this idea of business relationships and hopefully give you some tools, give you some practical, pragmatic applications of these ideas that you can put to work in your own personal and professional growth. So, thank you for asking. Sure, you bet. So before we close off, I just want to mention with regard to the uh, topic of completed service work, uh, we at Zooper, uh, in the product that we provide for customers, we can actually make it easier for organizations and service people to think about uh, completed service work and what the next step might be. Uh, we can use the tool to define checklists for things that uh, should be checked. We can use the uh, the software to uh, prompt the field service technicians on what to ask next or what kind of solution or recommendation to, pr- to uh, present to their customers next. So technology tools are available like Zooper that can help you implement and sustain the completed service work philosophy. But most important of all, it needs to be part of the philosophy of the organization and the DNA and just the daily thought process of all of the field service people if you're going to implement it successfully. So let me just leave you with this final thought that I mentioned early on in the, in the uh, podcast as well. And that is when a service technician goes on site, it should not be about what they should do there. It should also be about what they should do and what they could do in order to satisfy the customer and take care of the issue. So, Eric, uh, back to you. Thank you. Gentlemen, this has been fantastic. I, I love good quality service. I shop specifically for good quality service. I am beyond the age where I was so broke that I had to take whatever I could get. Now I get to be a little choosy, gentlemen. And I'll tell you what, I am choosy. Um, I'm going to pick that company that is going to service my family well and make sure that our needs are taken care of, that we don't have to go without for long periods of time because somebody's just not you know, capable of picking up the phone or whatever. So I'm right there with you. I love today's content. It was fantastic. Nor, thank you so much for being on the show. And I'm, I'm, I'm super excited about that book that's coming out. And of course, Michael, given that opportunity to plug it, you guys are just rock stars. 
and I thank you so much for your time. And of course, our last thank you is always for you, listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to Zuper FM Field Service Your Way with Michael Israel and David Knorr. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when the guys come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review as this actually does help other people find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Zuper FM, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Zuper FM, field service your way. Insightful discussions and advice that help you position your field service operations as a powerful force in building enduring customer loyalty. And remember this, when you deliver excellent service to your customers, you're also facilitating their ability to provide superior service to their customers, which strengthens brand loyalty among their customer base as well. Thanks again. Please join us next time.